Welcome to Soberly Ever After, the podcast that inspires you to live your own happy ever after by embracing sobriety. I'm Jenna and my co-host is Leslie and each week we'll be sharing our journeys, interviewing others, and exploring the reasons why a sober life is a better life. On today's episode, we will be talking to Andrew Hash, and here's a little bit about Andrew. He lives in Columbus, Ohio, but he grew up in Spotsylvania, Virginia. He is happily married to a very supportive wife, and they have two boxers named Mesa and Roma. Andrew has been a pharmacy purchaser for the past 10 years. He is an avid sports fan, very into music, and loves spending time with his family. Most recently, during the last year, he's gotten into cycling and absolutely loves it. At some point, I connected to Andrew on Instagram via our similar interest being sobriety. Though there are so many to connect to on Instagram within the sober community, I try to take a look at each person. What caught my attention about Andrew was the way in which he looked like a nice, regular guy, posting photos of his wife, dogs, nature, as well as his love of trying non-alcoholic beers. He looked like someone I might want to be friends with in real life. Beyond that, what really drew me in was one post in particular regarding what led Andrew to sobriety, which was a health scare. I thought the post was so eye-opening and I found it to be incredibly endearing that Andrew chose to share his health scare with anyone who took the time to read it. I thought it was very brave of Andrew to use his own personal experience, an experience that sounded very frightening to me, in order to try and help wake others up. That said, today's topic is on health and wake-up calls. We'll be discussing Andrew's story to show you what it's like to one day be faced with two options. Quit the thing you're doing that's causing you harm or risk your life further. So with that said, hello, Andrew, and we're happy to have you. Hi, happy to be here. <laughs> Great. Okay, so um, first off, I know that you mentioned to me that you began drinking at the age of 13. So I thought that would be kind of an interesting way to start this off, to hear um, kind of a little bit just about how it started for you and what it was like. Uh, yeah, I mean, 13 seems young, but I think there's quite a bit of us that started drinking at 13 or heck, maybe even younger, who knows. Um, but it just kind of started as one of those things that seemed cool, you know, doing it seemed fun. And so you wanted to get drunk and try it. And I actually was one of the weirdos who always liked the taste of beer. Um, so I, I didn't have to have an acquired taste for it. And yeah, so, I mean, really, I, I binge drinking started 13, um, carried on through all of high school, uh, into my twenties and college. And yeah, I mean, I was your, your partier, your, your binge drinker. Most of the time it was happy go lucky, but not always. Uh, um, but yeah, so didn't really think of anything. I was young and nothing could do me harm. And I just partied away. Okay. And yeah, I agree. Um, I do think that a handful of people did start really early because that's sort of like middle school. Um, I didn't actually do that. I was kind of one of the, I was a weirdo in that way. <laughs> I waited till much later, but yeah, you're right. Um, even though it sounds early to me, I don't think it's early for many people. Um, so I guess the first thing that comes to my mind is, so you were pretty much like as far as society goes a normal drinker you drank in college you drank in high school like everyone sort of does that so what was the point in time that it sort of transitioned into that you know weird area that I think I think most of us go through where it suddenly it's not about what it was before you know it's it's not it's fun and it's not necessarily around other people like what kind of happened for you well i mean i wish i could say i was like out of the normal college kid and stuff like that where i know occasionally like college kids party too hard and stuff like that but i always partied hard uh, 
I always drank heavily. Um, when I it was been drink, I wasn't drinking every day when I was in high school or college. But when I partied, I partied hard. I was the last one standing every night, and so it was it was heavy drinking. I can look back now and be like, oh yeah, I had a problem then too. I just didn't realize it because it's socially acceptable to drink when you're in college, somewhat in high school, I guess. <laughs> um, but really, what ended up happening for me where it became a daily thing and where I think you let it classify it. Oh, this isn't too young kid getting drunk anymore. Like this guy's actually got a problem. It started probably about shortly after turning 30. Um, in my teenage years and in my twenties, I was always active, competed in everything that I could get my hands on. I rode mountain bikes, I hang glided, I did all sorts of races and, and then I had knee surgeries I just kind of started slowing down and then shortly after turning 30 I ended up having uh, an, a health scare um, that didn't lead me to stop drinking it actually made it worse uh, I got uh, like a neuromuscular problem started happening and it ended up being a two year in and out of the hospital doing every kind of test trying to figure out what it was uh, and it built up all of this medical anxiety this health anxiety that led to consistent daily drinking uh especially with it being a neuromuscular issue i would have involuntary muscle spasms that were scary i mean they'd last hours um but when i drank they'd stop because alcohol is depressant and while neurologists would never tell you to drink they would make jokes about it like oh yeah you can just drink it um (laughs) they'll tell you when you stop drinking (laughs) and it and it's out of your system, it picks back up and it's worse. Uh, so th- I think that's when, whether I knew it or not, that's when I started to have because that's when I was looking for an outlet every day and I was drinking every day. Um, whiskey was, has been trend still is trendy. Um, and I, I loved whiskey. So everyone didn't think anything of it. I was an elk being belligerent. I developed a, high tolerance at a young age and the tolerance stayed with me so I could pound um, half a bottle of whiskey in a night and it not be a problem I could go to work Um, but I was literally getting home and drinking because it made things stop it would shut my mind off I thought about I wanted to slow everything down I wanted to stop thinking even after uh, I got diagnosed with what's called benign fasciculation syndrome it uh, can mimic the onset of ALS and MS. So it's really scary initially. Uh, it takes a while to figure it all out. And once I got all of that figured out, the, all the bad habits, all the daily drinking, the, uh, I think you said it in a previous podcast, kind of like the uh, functional alcoholism had already started. Uh, at that point, it was built in and I was already drinking daily. And it, it, I didn't think much of it then. I didn't think much of it even after the diagnosis came because I started that habitual drinking every night ever I'd come home get out of work first thing I do I got home I pour myself and that habit stayed with me and then it didn't hit me that I had a problem officially until I had another kind of health scare where I had some some pain and finally got it looked at and did an upper endoscopy and they found that I had Barrett's esophagus uh, and Barrett's esophagus is where you have done damage to your esophagus and your esophagus lining and everything starts to creep up more and more into your throat, your stomach tissue and everything. And all of that stuff uh, starts to, to creep upwards. Um, and then on top of that, when they go in, they do a biopsy to check. And when they went in there, they saw that I had high-grade dysplasia. And high-grade dysplasia is where the cells are damaged and they're trying to repair themselves. And it's actually pre-cancerous tissue. Uh, it's very vulnerable to becoming cancer. Uh, you have to keep an eye on it. Uh, I have to get tested once a year. I'm on medication to, to keep it back. So far, I'm extremely lucky. Uh, I did not have anything come back as cancerous yet. Uh, and hopefully I don't. Hopefully I have it under control now. Stop drinking. Um, but what's funny, not so funny, is... I didn't stop right away then. Uh, I'd love to say that that scared me into 
immediately quitting, but I thought I could moderate. I've I acknowledged that over the past couple of years, drinking too much, but I've got this, I, I can moderate. So for five, six months, I tried to moderate and I failed every time. Uh, I would usually go about a month with only like two drinks while out, not drinking like you know, all, but it would always result in this thing of drinking again, uh, old habits die hard. And that's when I finally, after numerous months of trying, accepted that I had a problem and I had to stop. Like I was killing myself. I was actively killing myself. I didn't stop and finally just had a moment where I, we had gone out to drink with friends. I had one drink, came home. The first thing I started to do when we came home was start pour another drink. And I just, that was it. I was like, I can't do that. Like, what the hell are you doing? And started down the path of sobriety and it, it, it wasn't easy. Um, as you can tell, I mean, you think you get that health scare that you would stop immediately, but I didn't. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of where I got to the point of needing to quit, wanting to quit, and finally actually quit. God, that was a lot to go through. Um, and as my aunt would say, I'd bless your heart. Um, I'll definitely say a prayer for those ongoing tests, but... Um, yeah, and I actually, so um, kind of comedically, I don't know if it's funny or not, but I actually knew about um, the Barrett, what is it called again? Barrett? Barrett's esophagus. Barrett's esophagus, yeah. So I have been a warrior kind of my whole life. Um, my dad is a doctor, and I tend to look things up a lot, so about so I quit drinking in um, 2020, but in 2017 and for years, I was super paranoid and I got paranoid about my esophagus. So I got an upper endoscopy because I read about Barrett's esophagus and how it could be precancerous. So when I read your post, I was like, oh, I know about that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a serious thing. Can I ask a question? Yeah, go for it. Please. Hello. Hi, Andrew. Nice to meet you. Hi, Leslie. My question to you is, what was going on when you were 13 that made you even... I mean, maybe it's normal for 13-year-old boys to be curious. Um, like, was was your family life? Was there anything going on? Or was it just curiosity and you wanted to try it? Um, I don't think anything rebellious or anything going on really it was more of like wanted to do it did it and there wasn't a whole lot that i people could tell me no about <laughs> um but if you told me no i was probably going to guarantee you that i was going to do it um when i was 13 i should have when i was 13 i was kind of a little a-hole <laughs> um so yeah i don't think like home life and everything fine and i mean uh, nothing crazy by any means. I think many people have gone through way other things than I did at that age uh, to get them into things and gotten through it just fine. So I don't think it was anything that really drove me to alcohol at that age other than I saw older kids do like friends, brothers and stuff would party and, and that kind of thing. And it was big around where we were and we wanted to do it. So we, we snuck a bunch of beers and got a 13 year old wasted which is like what three or four beers in your tank <laughs> um but but yeah and then that just kind of led to it after that where we'd go to parties and it was always we we're at parties with upperclassmen all the time so we're, we're always around so i think that's where we got into it is just because it was everywhere yeah you kind of sound like a like a daredevil type, you brought the party kind of person. <laughs> Old me, yeah. <laughs> and, well, here's another question then. Um, before your health scares, did your wife ever talk to you about your drinking? No, um, because my drinking didn't ever really affect others once I was into, like, once I hit, like, 
28, 29. I wasn't like out getting hammered and having to find a ride at Mars or anything like that. Like I was, I always had a, a pretty good limit when I was, I could moderate when I was out. It was when I got home that I'd do all the damage. Um, so, and the damage I did was always to myself other than occasionally, <laughs> I, well, then occasionally she'd have to come down in the middle of the night and find me passed out on the couch. But uh, I was functional. I mean, I, I never missed work. I got up early. I didn't sleep much. Um, I think it would be, I don't know a single person who, when I told him I stopped drinking, thought it never really, like nobody came to be like, oh yeah, we've, we've thought about talking to you about it. No, nobody did because only damage I was doing was to myself. Well, that's good that you didn't really affect other people. And does your wife drink? Like I know that she does. She does not drink. She's not a daily drinker. She drinks like out at dinner, uh, at an event or anything like that. So there's not a lot of alcohol in her house. She's never been a heavy drinker. So it's pretty pretty easy in my household. There's not a whole lot of temptations. Yeah. So even when you're at dinner with her and she drinks, it doesn't bother you or and does it make you want to taste it or anything? No, our early sobriety going out to dinner was uh, because I would always have uh, a scotch, a whiskey, a bourbon, any anything that I had, and I'd have like two or three. But um, going out, I, I did associate with booze, like going out to a nice dinner, yeah, nice mixed drink, and so early sobriety. Yes, it was tough. So we didn't. A lot of the times, I just didn't want to go out. Uh, so I think that was probably the toughest thing she had did was when I was in early sobriety I didn't want to do anything I, I associated everything there wasn't a whole lot that didn't make me think about now uh, I'm very comfortable we're very good about looking up places when we go out making sure they have an NA option uh, I like dry a lot of stuff I'm still very into the complex flavors pairing with food so we just do a lot of research do you still hang out with some of your old friends that were your big drinker friends? Yeah, um, I do. Um, I grew up in Spotsylvania and Virginia, so a lot of those friends I don't see on a regular basis anymore. Um, but I'm actually I'm going to one of their weddings in October. Um, but I am one of very few who don't drink um, that we can. In fact, most... When I go to family functions, uh, everybody's drunk, everybody's drinking. Um, so I'm the only sober. It's, it's just me. <laughs> it, is that a little empowering or is how does that make you feel? Because I actually like when I'm out and about, like we go camping and stuff and I'll be the only sober one. And like, I just watch everybody and like what they're doing. And, and knowing that like tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up, get up early, make breakfast for everyone. And I know that they're going to be dragging their feet in the morning. Like, how does that make you feel when everybody else is around you and, and you're just sober? Early on, it's, it was tough. Um, that fear of missing out kind of thing creeped in a little bit. Uh, I never really stuck around very long, but now, I mean, not saying that I couldn't have a bad day, you need to peace out early, but these days I'm very comfortable with going out, very comfortable with being around people. And, and yeah, I think the, the empowering thing is I don't have to have a sobering up period before trying to drive home. I can live. I just leave whenever I want or in the morning, like I'm going to get up feeling just fine. There's no hangover. The next day, so, um, it, a little empowering. I did look and like, um, went through your Instagram page, by the way, I had boxers too. And my just, she passed away in January and we are about to adopt our first French bulldog. But, um, of course I was like, oh, I already like him because he's got, you know, two boxers and, um, but I was through your page. Like, did you do that biking and stuff before, or was that sort of a, like a new hobby once you stopped? New, new hobby. So I mountain bike in my early twenties, but I, I stopped doing all that after, um, just kind of life got in the way. But actually, like cycling and road cycling, I had never done. That was I decided to pair that with sobriety, um, and that was all new. That's cool. 
But my husband, for a while, he was an ultra runner. And, um, and I remember somebody came up because there's so much training involved in ultra running and I'm assuming in your cycling as well. But I remember somebody said, you know, behind every like ultra runner, there's like a strong woman behind him, supporting him all the way, you know? And so I think of your wife and, you know, the, the support that she has to give you in so many different ways and including your new hobbies and, and supporting you in your health scare and, um, like she's a, I think a super important component in this. And I always say that too, because I'm on the other end where I'm the one with a drinker in my life. And so I, I'm actually talking to myself when I'm telling you all of this stuff, but I also believe in what I'm saying when I'm telling you about your wife, you know, and, and, um, how important she is in all of this as well. Um, oh, extremely. I, I couldn't have done sobriety without her. Because while she may have not recognized the how bad it had gotten for me, she was there to support me all along the way. Looking at going out, she finds the place that has any options. Or if she's out with friends and sees that the menu has that app, snaps a picture, sends me so that we can go there um, in the future and, and throughout the, the tough spots of it where I didn't want to do anything. I mean, it's, it's not easy on partner when you're trying to like walk yourself up because you don't want to do it because you're just pissed at the world so you can you can be a bit of a, a grunt when you're getting set over and figuring things out and she was very supportive throughout the whole thing and couldn't have done it without so tell us a little bit about that like getting sober and the different emotions that you went through so you're talking about some anger and like, where did that come from and how long did that last? And were there other things like, were you sad? Were you depressed? Were you, kind of what did you go through to get to where you're at right now? I think to start 100% depressed, um, because I mean, as sad as it is, you like, you compound the depression the more you think about it, uh, because I was depressed because I couldn't drink because whiskey was my deal. Then you stop and you're like, oh my God, like my personality is that I drink. And then that gets you like even more depressing that that's what you're known for. So the, the depression compounds and it gets a little worse. And then you start to think like, am I going to be able to go out again? Is this going to change me completely? Like who the hell am I going to be moving forward? So it, it was depressing. It, it was sad at times, but I just kind of focused on being at home and and doing things, trying to keep active. I got into to riding, rode for the Altonia right here in Smile, and, and that really helped streamline my focus. But then it also led to another period of depression when the ride ended last year. I went about a month. I was good, but then. I hit a whole month where I struggled with everything all over again. I didn't drink, um, but I wanted to. And I don't know whether it was just, for my, I didn't do a good job of planning what to do after the ride stopped. I, I stopped riding. I just didn't, didn't really know what to do with myself. Um, so it was, it was difficult. And I, I really struggled for a while. And then ironically, we got COVID. <laughs> throughout it so I was already I was too wiped to even think about drinking at that point and then that kind of when I rebounded from that and everything kind of had snapped out of it by then there's a lot of periods of depression and then in between that is sprinkled in with anger like even once you're feeling good like I had got I had let myself go for being an active person in my teenage years and 20s I was always in good shape worked out all the time and then I had really started to let myself go so part of getting sober Initially, just by cutting on alcohol, I dropped like 10 pounds immediately. And then working out, getting active again, um, getting active again, I, I felt great. I looked great. Like I'd lost 30 pounds. <laughs> and then I got angry about it because I'm like, what the hell? Like you could have done this for like the past five, six years. Like what the hell was wrong with you? So you really, like I beat myself up a lot about that too, where I was no longer depressed. I mean, yes. And 
that stuck around for a good while. It, it motivated me, but at the same time, it, it probably wasn't super healthy. Um, but that that pushed me through in that first year of sobriety, just like, but balancing between that, I would have taken the anger or depression any time. But eventually, I, I would find balances that hit some groups. And then this year, I really started to, I don't think you ever really figure it out in sobriety. I think you just get comfortable. But I really got more of a permanent group. I really know what my routine is, where I feel comfortable. Uh, I'm very good about if I'm in a situation that I don't want to be in. I, I know my my exit strategies and I, I take them when I need it. And, and yeah, so <laughs> whole, whole range of emotions, right? And now I'm kind of at a point where, yeah, I'm sure there's still some times. Like I still don't love to be around people who are sloppy drunk. Um, but I'm no longer angry when I'm around people who are heavily drinking or drunk. It's just something I kind of deal with and I, and I'm good. And if ever see him out of the situation. So you mentioned ex exit strategies. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So last year, um, I was going to my first sober business conference. Um, cause anybody who's in healthcare, when you go to conferences, it's pharma companies supplying booze top shelf booze everywhere you go. So I knew I was getting into an interesting situation, but I chose to go. I felt like I was ready and I was in a good place of mind last summer. And I knew going into it, I needed to develop some action strategies for the situation. So I, I thought of what to do in those situations to where if I felt uncomfortable, how to gracefully exit this, this situation. And for that one, I had already factored out. I was like, well, I'm already training for my Peloton to ride, so I'm just going to tell them I'm still training, and that's why I'm not drinking. Or if I'm comfortable and feeling good, maybe I will tell people that. I ended up feeling really comfortable and talking to people about it when they asked what I was drinking because they didn't have any uh, non-alcoholic options, so I was drinking on a line. And you get all those people, they go to the bar, and like, what are you drinking? And I'm like, oh, I've got it, I'm good. <laughs> And it can get a little awkward. Um, so I knew at any point, if I did get super awkward, I was just going to say my goodbyes. And I had a whole plan of going to the hotel gym. Like I, my goal was to get to the hotel gym, get through it, network. And as soon as you're over it, get to the hotel gym. And I lasted a lot longer than I thought. But when the suites were over, all the hospitality suites, all the booze and food, and they wanted to go to the hotel bar, that's when... I was like, you know what? This is this is my cue. I'm gonna say my goodbyes. So I went out and went right to the hotel gym instead of the hotel bar, and it felt great. I felt really good about it. So I planned that. I'm going. You have to get to the gym. So don't let anything disrupt you. And if you get to a point where it's uncomfortable, get out of there. And I never got uncomfortable, but I knew going to the bar where it went from social heavy drinking to probably people being heavily drunk that was my cue to get out and i kind of use that in, as a good excuse for most things these days even if i'm not drinking like oh i've I'm, I'm got a ride in the morning i've got to get up early and get out of there so okay at being active is my uh, escape on both i do find as soon as people find out that i'm a non-drinker they want to know why and they want to you know, question me all about it. And um, I don't know if you heard the other ones, but like, I just chose not to drink anymore. My husband is the drinker. And so I just choose not to. It doesn't, like, I've never really fully enjoyed a drink anyway. I say I'm naturally crazy, but um, I do find I have to have this conversation with everybody about why I'm not drinking. And I'm like, why are you drinking? Like, why are you drinking? Because, you know, we can still have a lot of fun without it, you know, and I feel like at least um, my old supervisor that I had here at work, he, I thought, I think he thought as soon as he stopped drinking, he would stop having fun. I'm like, it's just different fun. Like it's, you're more aware of fun, you know, like, what do you think about all that? I think, yeah, initially I was definitely one of the people who was a little worried, like, what am I going to do when I'm out? Like, what am I going to put in my hand? 
I'm so used to just being out and having a drink and that's what loosens me up. But really, I can talk to a brick wall, so probably don't need the alcohol to loosen up. Um, but it was, it was interesting initially because I did fear those questions. Like I was like, please God, just don't let people ask me about it. Like, let this go by just fine. Like I'll turn the, the NA beer inwards to my hand. I'll just assume I'm drinking a beer. Uh, but then I got really comfortable really quickly and was one of those, uh, oversharing sobriety people, um, which probably annoyed or more so because I just talk about how great I feel and how awesome I look <laughs> and just go on and on about it. Uh, but now I'm really at a, a comfortable point where if people do want to ask the questions, I, I think that's a good one is that, that you bring about like, why are you choosing to drink? Like easily just turn that question right around them because just as awkward to ask someone why they're drinking, why they're not drinking. Like we're the ones not putting poison into our body. So why do we need to explain ourselves? Yeah, it's so backwards. Like I find it just almost funny and then I... And then I'm like, I'm trying to have a conversation with a drunk person and like that gets me nowhere. And it actually just irritates me even more because this conversation really doesn't mean anything at this point, you know, and um, at least I feel like it's not going anywhere deep inside that other person I'm trying to talk to about it. And because it's not the right circumstance, it's not the right time to have that conversation with somebody who's already had a few drinks for your yeah, but- weekend, you know. Well, my favorites when they come in with the, uh, I could never do that. Well, I mean, I did it. So I'm pretty comfortable to say that you could if you wanted to. We call out and then I'm like, okay, if, if you could never do that, then it sounds like you've got a problem. That, that's what you need to do that. You know, I did have a client, um, I have a little salon and she said something about wine and, and, you know, she needs to have, you know, her glass and a half every single night in order just to relax. And I'm just thinking, that's crazy. Like you can't relax without having that. Like, I mean, I've never had to rely on something. I think maybe I'm just always uptight, (laughs) but it's, it's crazy to me that somebody doesn't feel like they can naturally relax without, without alcohol. Well, I think that's the majority of society. I think I know so many people who even, I mean, it's ironic to say healthy drinkers because there really is, uh, we keep learning more and more that there is no, but even the ones that I think can moderate, they say that they need their, they need a drink before they go to bed because it helps them get to sleep. But like literally every study has shown even one glass of alcohol doesn't, it may help you initially go to sleep, but your sleep's fucked. Like it, it doesn't actually sleep. It, you may get to sleep. But the quality of sleep that you have, you one drink, terrible compared to not. So I, I think it's pretty common where it, it's not even just to relax. Like they need that. I mean, maybe it is the relaxing, the unwinding. That's how they get to sleep. But I think so many people that have that nightcap because that's how they go to sleep. It's been built in that at the end of the night, you pour yourself a drink. I 100% was one of those people, except I was worse because I needed the drink to unwind when I came home from work. And then. I just kept drinking until bed. Yeah. Well, and were you married at that time when that was going on? Yeah. Yeah. I've been married for eight Like, so that's sort of my situation. My husband will just drink as soon as he gets home and sit at his computer. He's doing work stuff or whatever until he's ready for bed. And for me, that's a lonely life because my husband's, you know, drinking at the table all night until he's ready for bed where so I'm missing my partner like so that didn't affect your wife when you were doing that and so I would always she's always a uh, early person to bed like she nine o'clock is typically when she goes to bed I'm a night person so we always had that overlap where we kind of do our own thing we're also both extremely independent people um but he goes to bed around nine I always stayed up pretty close to midnight and I still do I, I'm not I can't go to bed early I'm just kind of a natural night owl um, but I was always with her we'd watch TV shows and stuff uh, I think the only thing that inconvenienced her was I'd have to pause to go refill my drink because I had pounded my my first drink before the show was over 
Wow. I mean, crazy. What about you, Jenna? You have some questions? My questions kind of go back to the healthcare because I experienced a bit of a health scare as well. And so uh, I am curious, um, as I mentioned before, I've, I've always been a worrier. So for me, during my entire, and of course I'm relating with everything that you're saying. I know that Leslie doesn't because she's never experienced it, but I'm the night owl. I drink until I went to sleep. It's what helped me relax every night. So I'm on that end. But um, over the years that I drank, deep down, I was always very conscious and very scared of um, what I was doing to my body. But like you, I would ask for my liver to be tested and I would make sure to get those blood tests every time I went to the doctor. And like you, my blood taste, blood, like you, my blood tests came back um, well. They looked good. Um, so I'm just curious, deep down, were you always kind of worried about what you were doing to yourself? And, um, well, yeah, that's the first question. Um, so, yes. But not always. I think it started to creep in about two years before my actual health because of drink. The first health scare led to drinking heavier. Um, and I think somewhere along the line, especially during COVID, during the shutdown and everything, definitely was even worse. I started realizing like, oh, shit, it's Thursday and I already drank the two bottles of whiskey I bought on Monday. <laughs> and here I am at the store like... I'm thinking of this while I'm in line buying two more bottles of whiskey. And I, I think it, it was hard for me because as much money as I did burn on whiskey, like we had the means to do it. We're by no means wealthy or anything, but like I had the means to buy whiskey when I wanted it. So I didn't think about it as much, except occasionally it would creep in like, man, like you just like, you've gone through three, four bottles of whiskey this week. And that's usually the one I'd sit and think like, when was my last blood check? Where did I get my last physical? And look about it. And I, there was even a time where I paid for a second physical just to go get tests run and, and stuff again, because I'm in the medical field and I know all the people and I got them to do it and paid a lot of money to have it done. And once again, kidneys, perfect liver, perfect. Like, you know, like cholesterol was a little high, but other than that, everything was great. So I'm like, well, I can't have a problem because those are the things that go bad when you drink, right? Nothing else goes wrong. I had no idea. When I think of throat cancer, mouth cancer, I think of, that's the only thing I think of is cigarettes, tobacco, pipes, like cigar. That's the only thing I think. I didn't think of drinking, but never registered with to even think about that. But yeah, I, I think I always knew it was there. And, and was kind of worried about it, but I'd go to the doctor and I'd get the all clear or what I considered the all clear, all clear, and I'd move on. Okay. So also, how did you feel your doctor or doctors that you saw respond to you? Like, did you, did you tell them like, cause I would kind of lightly tell my doctor, like I drink too much and she I loved her. I don't go to her anymore, but I loved her. But she's a real sweet lady, and she would just be like, oh, I'm sure it's okay. Or you just went through a breakup, so, you know, that happens. Like, you just need to, like, stop drinking. But, like, I didn't feel that she really took it seriously. So I'm wondering, like, did you tell your doctors? And if so, did they take it seriously? Like, were they suspicious at all that you wanted to keep checking your blood? Like, did they try and help you in a way that you felt was effective? Like, do you basically that this whole all of these questions are kind of I'm just wondering about like the way that our system treats it as far as um, helping people, you know? I don't think current medical professionals ask enough questions. I think they're too trusting with what the patient is willing to admit. I was never fully transparent how much I was drinking. I defined as two drinks a night 
was like four fingers of whiskey in each drink. So <laughs> that's a little different when what most people refer to as two drinks. My drinks for instead of two fingers, it's like, here's a fist of whiskey. So my drinks were a little different. So when I, I wasn't technically lying when I said I had two drinks a night, um, but they didn't really press. And maybe for them too, they're relying on, well, like if this guy's drinking a ton, it sure as hell isn't showing up in all of these tests. So maybe he's not drinking. So I don't think they, I don't think doctors ask enough questions in regards to substances. Um, I think it's more of by the time they're asking the question because it's visually evident. And at that point, it's already done its damage. Uh, if you're jaundice or if you've got some teeth issues or anything like, like at that point, you've kind of missed your chance to intervene. And now, now you're doing damage control. So I, I don't know that we, as a medical field or as the medical profession, I don't think we ask the right questions. Uh, we at least don't try hard. We, we take everybody at the word and that's probably not always the best. Um, and I think I can understand where maybe you don't want to push too hard because they'll go see another doctor. Um, but no, uh, I, I don't think we question drinking enough at the doctor. And we sure as hell are honest about it when we go to the doctor. Now, I never was like, yeah, I had three bottles of whiskey this week. <laughs> I think maybe they would have asked a few more questions if I said that. Yeah. Yeah, I I just feel like it's such a powerful message that I hope that people hear when they're listening to this is that you and I have both experienced that um, that alcohol really can be damaging more things than just we are aware of in this life that we're living in, the society that we're in, like it's more than that generic panel they give you. It's other things are happening, you know? Yeah. I mean, I didn't think at all when like I was having stomach problems and stuff and I was just like, man, I just, you know, like play with my diet and stuff. I, I never thought of alcohol was doing it. Cause I just thought alcohol, if anything's down there, it's killing it. <laughs> yeah. never, never thought of it doing damage. And here I am just racking my throat and mouth because of my thinking yeah i mean i i've even and i think the, the one the post you're referring to i explained like i had to get um a, a growth and dysplasia cut out of my mouth because that it had spread there and luckily i already had that looked at again not in the all clear but man i had to get a little ice cream scooper out of my mouth and <laughs> take a nice little chunk and that's that's not fun and you think of that when you think of smoking you drinking and i literally I've never smoked a cigarette, so. Yeah, and how do you, do you ever, like, worry about it? And how do you push through the worries? It's interesting because, like, my wife has anxiety. Um, so she definitely is able to cook a little bit. And uh, we, we can kind of lean on each other with that stuff now. But I was never an anxious person, never before until I had my initial health scare where that health anxiety just completely consumed me. And I finally understood what my wife goes through on a daily basis, uh, being a person diagnosed anxiety. And I didn't know how to cope with it. So I drank, I didn't know what to do. I, I was beyond confused. I, I didn't know what anxiety even was, uh, what that feeling was until I had the health scares. And then I just kept making it worse because and he doesn't help anxiety it makes it worse um and, and i don't think i ever developed the right coping mechanisms to to deal with anxiety ever um until i got sober and, and then basically i what i do now if i get into that mindset i i stop and just sit and focus for about 10 to 15 minutes and just try to listen. I don't know. I don't do anything. I don't go. If anything, I'll, I'll do some stretching and, and just kind of sit and be with my own thoughts, which I think is extremely difficult for anybody with anxiety. Um, 
but I just try to work through those thoughts because I've found that most things, cravings, things that I, I feel that they're fleeting. They, they go away in about 10 to 15 minutes. If I just stop what I'm doing and allow it to pass. I don't think everybody is that way by all means, but I found that that works for me. If I just stop, I shove it down and do my best to, to focus, let the thoughts process about 10 to 15 minutes. Most of the time it is, uh, I'll do light stretching and stuff like that and just kind of sit and move around on a foam roller or whatever, and just wait for it to pass. And, and for the most part, 10 to 15 minutes is about what it takes. And as far as the, is dysplasia going to pop up somewhere else? Uh, the next time I get tested, are they going to find esophageal cancer? Uh, I, I anxious before that I do, uh, it's hard not to, um, but I just lean back that I've done everything I can now. I don't drink. I have a healthy lifestyle. I eat well. I'm active. I'm just, I'm doing the right thing. So I just try to, to remind myself that you've taken the necessary steps. You're doing what you can. You're here to get tested. You're, you're doing the test. You're going to catch it early enough because you're here you're doing the right. So that's, I guess your coach yourself up for is, but. Yeah, um, I, I think you're completely right. The best thing we can do is move forward and say that we're doing the best that we can. And I know that it's all about mindsets, but I also have struggled with in ways that you mentioned about, you know, just wishing, if anything, just wishing that I had gotten sober sooner. And that I think is the the beautiful part about it that we can share with others is is that as, as hard as it is to believe, um, the greatest thing you can do is get sober today because you're going to wish that you had done it already because it's so much better once once you get on that side. Um, Couldn't agree more. Um, that's, that is the tough part. And that's where I talked uh, with one of Leslie's questions saying about the anger because I, I look back, I have we would barely take photos because I, I didn't want to see myself then. I look back at those and I'm like, man, those were still like good years that you could have been taking care of yourself. Maybe wouldn't be having the throat problems I have now, but and so it's tough. Even now that I feel like I have the good groove, I'm very comfortable with my sobriety. It's still hard not to, to look back and think like, man, I really wish in the late 20s I, I could have been cutting out drinking and, and realize how good it is like if i could go back and just give myself a good smack in the face tell myself to stop drinking i would i know i know i had a discussion one time with um someone that was about our age um another girl on instagram and we were talking about how we regretted it so much and this might sound silly but that we just wondered like how much more we had aged because you know you just think about like any little thing like how much like did I age myself like just any sort of little thing that it could have been de detrimental to and it's yeah it's just it's hard it's a lot of forgiving yourself for for whatever's happened but um Okay, I have one more question that I thought of, and then we'll go back to Leslie. But um, so you love those non-alcoholic beers. I do as well. How do you feel? And I asked this on the last episode, but I'm curious to ask you because you post those drinks a lot. How do you feel about the um, the 0.5%? I know that it's, for me, I, I sort of go back and forth where I'm like, oh, it's okay. But then sometimes I'm like, okay, here I am trying to advocate advocate against like alcohol but yet it still has some in it like how do you feel about that sort of a gray area even though it's such a small percentage so for me personally it doesn't register at all right? because i'm not pounding back 12 of these um so when you're talking about the health effects of 0.5 percent alcohol 0.5 percent alcohol is Right, and you right banana like there there's so many things that you're already ingesting that had that trace amount of alcohol really only there where there isn't a health effect if you're not 
crushing the whole fridge full of NA beer. Um, but where I definitely understand where people take that hard line with that 0.5 is if beer is even remotely triggering for you. Yeah. Then you got to know yourself because you have to know your own triggers. Beer was never a trigger for me. I mean, don't get me wrong. When I was in high school and while I was in college, most of what I was, was pounding bottles of whiskey, then most of it was pounding kegs of beer and, and stuff like that. So yeah, I did plenty of damn beer, but where I developed the problem was with whiskey. That's a little different. And beer, I, I was skeptical at first, mainly because of the taste and stuff. I had no idea how advanced NA uh, brews had got. But once I had them, I was like, well, wait a minute. These actually taste really good. I, I think I could do this. Like, this is going to be a nice little thing for me to have. It's a kind of a treat for myself. And I had gotten to the point, even when I was drinking heavily, that I couldn't really drink a ton of beers anyways because around an old age or what, I'd feel full after like three beers. So I, I already had kind of a built-in limiter for me um, with them. And most nights, I have one. Uh, occasionally, I have two. If I'm out all day at something... I'll have three. Um, I, I I don't have a preference whether it's 0, 0.0 or 0. 0.5. Um, I think both are great. I think it's awesome that there's 0%, like actual 0% options out there for people. Um, but I think the biggest thing is, is that there isn't any one way to sobriety and what works for one person is always going to work for the other. So if beer is triggering or that. 0.5% is is creeping up in your mind and that concerns you. I think there's zero options that you can go to, but if it's even though they're triggering, yeah, you probably got to eliminate them altogether and start looking at other avenues because it's all about what elicits that feeling or that want for more. And when I have an NA crew that is 0 0.5 or 0, I don't desire out oh, I just think, uh, damn, that tastes like a beer. Like, back in the good. And, and it doesn't even phase me that there's 0.5% alcohol in it. So I, I found them to be extremely helpful in my sobriety. And never have I had one or had another that think, like, man, I need to go for a real beer or anything like that. So I don't have that. Um, just that doesn't register with me as a, as a trigger. So I understand where it's definitely a, a dividing factor, I think, in the sober community, um, especially when it comes to AA. They take a pretty hardline stance like, about uh, the NA brews and or non-alcoholic beer, alcohol-free stuff. Um, but for me, it works. Yeah. Um, I'd say for me, I, I started having one a night, and then more recently, I allowed myself to have two. So I, I just was curious about you because I started looking into my own, like, I think it tastes so good, but why two? And so then I, I just thought I would share this. Um, I was listening to someone talk about their bedtime routine and I realized like, I'm still kind of enjoying this as a treat before going to sleep. So I'm trying to personally look into like, there's like nighttime lattes or like things with like magnesium in them and stuff like that so i think i'm gonna personally try and um not eliminate them but just kind of maybe incorporate something else rather than um having you know too much of it or two but um yeah just was curious about that leslie do you have anything else well yeah i I think that's a healthy thing. Like you, like it, it's already registering in your mind that you've escalated from one to two. And while I have no problem with one to two, the fact that you're thinking about it and pursuing another option, I think it's healthy. I don't, uh, especially the nighttime thing, because I'm, I'm guilty of it. And you call it a bedtime treat because it really is. Like I, I like, um, I'm having a West Coast IPA tonight, but most of the time it's like a stout because I'll have a stout in my cookie. <laughs> and so it really is, it really is free. Um, so I'm sure that there is some benefit to looking deeper into that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the fact that you're already thinking about it and looking at other options, I think is already congratulate yourself because you're already proactively thinking of other things and looking at exploring other options out. 
Yeah, yeah. I just, and I also wanted to share that because I figure that a lot of us, um, especially maybe the night owls, um, we did enjoy drinking because it kind of, I mean, for me, it just helped me pass out to be just blunt. So um, I think it is about just like, yeah, finding more and more ways to relax. And if you need a treat, finding different sort of treats, cookies sound good. I like that idea. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, Andrew, we always finish up our show by answer or asking three different questions. And so our first question to you is, what is your favorite part about being sober? Ooh, okay, I, I can only pick one. I would say I don't have an excuse anymore not to be active. I, I'd say eliminating the excuse. That's my favorite part. Like, I don't have the excuse. I always found an excuse not to work out when, once I kind of started letting myself go. So eliminating the excuse. Is my favorite part. That's a good one. I had, I used to do um, hair on a trainer here at my work. I have a health club and in my salons inside the health club. And he said, um, okay, just let me know when you're done making excuses and I'll be here for you. And I was like, oh, well, that totally was like, oh, I needed that. Um, even though it was painful, I needed to hear that. But um, okay, my second question is, what is something special that has helped you during your sober journey? Sorry, journey. And is there a secret tool or something that someone might not know about? Uh, it it's, seems super silly, but a morning routine. Um, it, it's my wife thinks I'm crazy because I, I literally eat the same thing every morning. And so I, I have the same morning routine. I do. Uh, I have to have my blueberries and I have to have my toast and, and that just, it's one less thing that I have to think about. So I know I get up, I, I have my coffee, I have my blueberries. So that that's just built in and I live every day, even if we're on vacation, like I try to find some version of that, um, because it's one less thing for me to think of. Uh, so I think establishing even just one daily routine is key so that is one less thing you think of in your routine is a nighttime uh, maybe it's doing 10 15 minutes of stretches or something like that before you go to bed but one routine that you can complete every day so to eliminate one more thing for you to think of. it's just something that's built in create that one routine that you're going to do today. and i think that sets you up for a lot of success that's really good. You know, the last guy um, we interviewed, he was really amazing too, but you know, he's like, set your intentions. And so I'm like, okay, now set our intentions. Now have a one routine that we do. Like by the end of this, we're going to have all these tools that we can share with so many different people of like, do you think today, like all these little things that we're getting from each person and like, if they, yeah, all of those one little things, like we're going to have like the perfect person who can like deal with the struggles that might come up when you're tempted, you know? Well, I think that's awesome to create that because, yeah, you're creating a nice little toolbox. Yes. And, and that's, I follow people who probably hate me because I post about NA beer and they're very anti-alcohol-free stuff right like that, but I believe been to an extent as long as they're not like posting horrible things or anything like that, but I believe in following people and having discussions to learn because I don't know everything about sobriety. I'm I'm a year and five months. I don't, I, I don't even track days all that often. I just get reminders, but I found all through the way I had to pick a, and choose what fit for me. And there's stuff that people who go to AA that they do and they say that, that resonates with me. So I think it's awesome to gather a whole bunch of the tools that people can piece together their own sobriety for what works for them because I will say it's all in the face there is no set way that's going to work for everyone to get sober everybody's going to have their own path that works for them I think there's awesome resources AA there's other options out there there's coaches therapy so many options out there but you got to find what works for you so creating a 
a toolkit for your listeners. I love that because not everybody is the same and everyone's going to deal with it separately and differently. And if we can interview enough people, somebody is going to resonate with one of our guests. And if they could just get one little thing from that person that helps them on that journey is all we're asking. It's just to help other people. We have one last question. And that would be, why do you think a sober life is a better life? A sober life is a better life simply because I hate to be corny and everything, but it, it's a healthier life. It's, it's a much more risk-free life. I found like, initially, yeah, I worried about whether I was going to lose being fun. Like, was I still going to be that person? And I, I continued to learn that like all alcohol did was hold me back from everything. Alcohol didn't contribute anything. All it did was hold me back. So the best thing about sober life is you're not going to have alcohol holding you back. There's plenty of other things that you're going to have to work on with yourself. And I have to work on for myself daily, but alcohol holds you back. It literally just sandbags you. So removing alcohol, being sober, sets you free to a whole range of possibilities. I thought... I, it was just, my metabolism had died. I was just getting old. Well, I am in as good of a shape now as I was when I got married at 29. Uh, so it, it wasn't just me getting old. It was me doing damage to myself. So put the drink down and you'll find that you have a lot more possibilities. Okay. That brought me to another question. I know that was my last one, but I have one more. So you said all it did was hold you back, right? Take that story yeah. you just said, and let's tell the young Andrew that. Before your health scare, before all of that, what would have that old Andrew would have said if the, the current Andrew said that to you? Me, looking now, like, I think I would have had to have, like, shown, like, pictures of myself when I had let myself go and I'm, um, I think that would have given me a good scare me straight moment <laughs> kind of deal uh, I think visually there would have had to be something I was pretty stubborn I'm still pretty stubborn um, I don't like people telling me what to do even if it was future me telling me what to do um, so I think it would have to be something something very visual of like this is where you're heading Hey, you're going to be 37 years old getting cancer screenings because you've wrecked yourself. So that, I think that's the only way I could tell young me is, is just got to shake it and be like, you are going to do self damage to yourself physically. Like here's all the health problems. Here's what you look like. Look at your face and look at face now. And yeah, cause, uh, Jenna had said earlier that alcohol does age you it, it 100% does like I did puppy inflamed mess when I was drinking and I didn't know how bad that it was basically all alcohol doing it and when I stopped it's crazy I saved my driver's license uh the last time I got it renewed because I was just a year sober and the look the difference between the license plate pictures is insane I mean, I, my face looks like it lost him. So like <laughs> alcohol does so much damage to every aspect of your life. <laughs> so yeah, I would have had to be the scared very straight. Young me is athletic, young, no damage can happen to me. I, the world can't stop me. So I don't know. Well, I love hearing that from you. And I love that you're just like, you seem like this, the cool guy that everyone wanted to party with and for you to come as far as you have and to tell your story, I think it makes such an impact on people who are like you and who have um, that experience in college and, you know, want to be the fun one, but that you don't necessarily have to have alcohol to do that. And um, not only do I want to thank you for coming on, I want to thank your wife for allowing us the time with you and, and for her being such a great support to you because, because I'm that wife. I want to know that, I am being supportive, even though he has not stopped drinking yet. He hasn't even come to the realization that there's a big issue 
but um, I can't make that decision for him. So part of me doing this is learning about the disease, or I don't even know if that's the right, if you want to call it a disease, but for me to learn and hear everyone's stories to see what they struggle with, because I don't have those struggles. So I don't know, I don't know from that side what it's like. And to actually hear from everybody and, and understand what a huge deal it is. And, and for you to tell that story about you going to the younger Andrew, it's, I mean, I don't know, it's just a little eye opening for me on this side of it. And so, um, I just think it's really great that you came on and you shared your story with us today. Jenna, you have something you want to add to that? Um, I think I would say that in hindsight, I think that I was also drawn to you because, um, just hearing everything, I think you, I mean, obviously I don't know you and your personality well enough, but you being like the cool party guy, that's, the person I dated who uh, kind of took me down this path initially. So um, I think I kind of sensed that with you and I thought it was so cool that you were outwardly displaying um, your support for other men who are struggling or women who are struggling with alcohol. And so I just want to say that um, even though you appeared very nice and humble in your pictures, um, I think you're just wonderful. And um, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. I think that you're awesome. So thank you. No, oh, I appreciate it. And that, that's I'll always hop on because the biggest thing for me is I'm always going to be on Instagram, whether I'll be as active or not, because I'm going to be on there just solely to show that I go to sporting events. I still have fun i still go out and do things have my fantasy football draft with my friends and i sat and had an a beer it was perfectly good time we had fun made a lot from each other time like how this changed except that i feel good now and if i'm out and about i'm out with friends drinking guess what i at least know if they're hammered i can take them home and we all, we all have to worry about people sobering up and stuff like that so i will be on there though i can't post anymore I want to show people that you can do this. It, it doesn't change anything, but make positive changes. Not saying you are going to lose some people along the way, because some people will see you stopping and look and reflect on themselves. They won't take that reflection. So you are going to lose some people along the way, but you won't lose the important ones. And you're going to still have a good life. You're still going to have fun. It All it does is eliminate risk. Thank you for joining us on Soberly Ever After. We hope the podcast gives you support and a place of no judgment to listen to our stories and to share yours with us. Until next time, a sober life is a better life.